The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawk Box. U.S. equities fall after stronger-than-expected jobs data feeds concerns about more Fed tightening. The Kansas City Fed chief, Esther George, has told CNBC she sees higher interest rates through to at least 2024. I'll be over 5%, and I see staying there for some time. Uh, Again, until we get the signals that inflation is really convincingly starting to fall back toward our 2% goal. China loosens up mortgage rules in a bid to boost its property sector and reportedly prepares to ease its three red line restrictions on developer borrowing. Samsung Electronics outlook sours with quarterly profit expected to sink nearly 70% to an eight-year low, sapped by weaker demand for chips and smartphones. Silvergate Capital loses its shine as it races to cover $8 billion in withdrawals as the collapse of FTX sparks a run on crypto-related banks. And Kiev now rejecting offers of a temporary ceasefire from Moscow as the US and Germany step up support, sending armoured vehicles, armoured fighting vehicles to Ukraine for the first time. Uh, a very warm welcome to Friday. What an exciting first week of the year you've already had. I mean, are there certainties in this world? Absolutely not. There are a lot of uncertainties out there. Absolutely. But having said there's no certainties, there are probably two out there. One, that Kevin McCarthy is going to have more votes today because, my goodness, he's already up to pre-Civil War territory and the number of votes taken to elect the Speaker. Quite extraordinary. But the second thing, which is certain in life, and we said it this time yesterday, we knew it was going to happen, you knew it was going to happen, that if there was a strong set of data on the employment front, the market was going to have a wobble. Boo-hoo to those people out there who are less concerned about jobs in America, but more concerned about interest rates and what it means for their portfolio as well. I would suggest jobs, the bedrock of any economy, absolutely key. And they were very, very strong yesterday across the board. I think we're going to do a bit more work on this a little bit later on, but the jobless claims declining to 204,000, lowest figure since September. The ADP up to 235, compared with 182,000 jobs created in November. These are strong figures and leave it very nicely for the payroll data which we're expecting today. Again, the, 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 the chaps will do this one a little bit later on as well. But the market fell aggressively. What do you think was the biggest declining sector? Yeah, real estate, of course, because rates higher for longer uh, means, of course, higher mortgage rates for longer as well. And then that, of course, will have its ensuing problems as well. The Dow was down 339. In fact, for the week, the Dow's actually only down 0.7 of a percent. But the S&P and the Nasdaq down 0.8 and 1.5 percent respectively. So pretty much give or take a couple of percent or a couple of decimals. This was really now the moves for the week we've had so far. But we have got the the mummy, the daddy of data coming later, uh, the payroll figures. So we have a what the treasuries did pretty well behaved really 3.7 percent on the 10-year uh, the two-year picking up on the yield you can see there again very sensitive to those rate moves 
0.46%. Dollar crosses the dollar. Whoa-hey. All those people who said the dollar was going to abate, not yet. For the week, the dollar index is up 1.6%. So you can see sterling now dipping below 120. The euro losing its 106 handle. Uh, and the yen, which got down to what? 132 or rose to 132, I should say. Uh, dollar yen now 134. Dollar yuan 6.85%. Asian indices look like this. Uh, Hang Seng down seven tenths of one percent. Shanghai Composite flat, uh, gains of six tenths of a percent for the ASX 200 and the Nikkei 225. It was good morning to you both. How good morning. Are you? Happy Friday. Good. good to see you both. Good. We've survived in the first week. Yeah. Very, very predictable couple of, of things yesterday, wasn't it? One, McCarthy's travails, <laughs> and two, uh, the market reaction. So some really interesting things going on, some really interesting things going on, not only in the States, I think, but obviously uh, in China with debt restructuring, which we should talk about as well. We'll But let's focus on that Fed story first. The St. Louis Fed chief, James Bullard, says the chances of a soft landing in the US are rising, adding the risk of recession is easing and that 2023 could be a disinflationary year. He also said Current policy isn't sufficiently restrictive, but is moving in that direction and should reach the key point this year. Speaking a a day before the US non-farm payrolls report, he also said he thinks the labour market will remain resilient. Well, let's have a look at the uh, Treasuries, because I think it's been a fascinating week where on occasions we've had data that would suggest that the Treasury yields should actually rise. And I think the Treasury market is still continuing to ask questions of the Fed's conviction to push these interest rates up through 5%. Well, speaking to our US colleagues, Kansas City Federal Reserve President Esther George said the Fed needs to stay tough in its effort to stamp out inflation. We understand that high inflation is going to require our action. So we have been moving our forecast up uh, to higher levels. You saw that in the most recent dot plot that came out in December. And I think holding that until we get confidence that inflation is actually coming down is really the message we're trying to put out there. And George also said the rising rate environment made the economy vulnerable, but is confident the U.S. can avoid a recession. I'm not forecasting a recession, but I'm quite realistic that when you see below trend growth uh, and the idea that our instrument is going to work on demand, uh, bringing that down, it doesn't leave a lot of margin there. Uh, So any shock could come, any risk to the outlook uh, could send the economy in that direction. Omega family officer's Leon Cooperman has another view, though, telling CNBC's closing bell that he sees a recession by the end of the year. He also said there's only a 5% chance that the S&P will top 4,400 points this year. Anybody looking for a new bull market anytime soon is uh, looking the wrong way. Uh, we have had the most speculative period in our financial history, you know, SPACs, uh, crypto, uh, you know, weekly, daily options. Uh, you know, crazy valuations of the would-be fangs and going into a new bull market anytime soon makes no sense to me. 
Uh, U.S. companies ended the year adding far more positions than expected. As I, I said at the wall, really, private payroll growth surged by 235,000 in December, according to ADP data, well ahead of the 153,000 estimate and sharply higher than the initial 127,000 reported for November. Meanwhile, weekly jobless, initial jobless claims, I should say, fell by a more than expected 19,000 to 204,000. And continuing claims also Well, job growth in the United States is expected to have slowed in the month of December, according to Refinitiv estimates. 200,000 non-farm jobs were added last month, down from 263,000 in November. Average hourly earnings growth is expected to ease to 0.4% on a monthly basis, while unemployment is expected to remain steady at 3.7%. Neil Wilson joins us, co-CEO at EJF capital. Um, Neil, the the labour data is flattering to deceive at the moment, it would seem here. And I don't know whether that's just down to the lag effect on the interest rate hikes or the fact that companies still seem to be hoarding labour in a very tight labour market and unwilling to let it go. What's your read on the current situation? And do you think that view changes if we continue to see weak end consumer demand? First of all, thank you very much for having me on this morning. Um, no, I would, I, I think the ADP figures were, um, you know, were, were very uh, impactful on the market. And I would expect today's uh, non-farm payrolls to have the same kind of impact, although a lot of it's baked in with that negative 1% on the, on the, uh, on the S&P 500. But look, I, I think the, the, uh, there is a lag effect, as you pointed out, Jeff, to, uh, raising interest rates and its impact on the labor market. And I think that's what you're seeing. Um, and I think what you're seeing in Esther George's comments yesterday was really some little bit of jawboning, because I think what they want to do is raise the rates to that 5%, you know, 25 basis points, 25 basis points, the next two meetings, and then hold it there through 2024. Um, the market has been really resistant to, to accepting that reality. But that's, but that's when I was on last month, it was the same story. Uh, the market doesn't really want to uh, uh, really want to accept that, but I think the market is starting to accept that, and you're seeing that in how the market has reacted to uh, yesterday's ADP numbers. Um, one thing I wanted to just mention, because I think it's important in the ADP numbers, is that the number of quitters versus people laid off was a pretty high ratio, so a lot more quitters than people who were laid off. And when quitters take a new job, I mean, that suggests that quitters believe they can get a new job quite easily. And the ADP data is showing that when they do, they get a 15% wage hike. So there is a lot of still pressure in the the, uh, labor market that's quite different uh, from the the payroll numbers, which have come down a lot. I mean, remember two years ago, it was 600,000 jobs created. Now we're down to 200,000 per month. Yeah, I think that underlying confidence is remarkable at the moment, given that the messaging largely from the Fed still seems to be we are set on lifting rates further at this point. The one fly in the ointment for me this morning is as we talk about Jim Bullard, who's starting to talk about disinflation for 2023. Now, how do we how do we put that into the mix when you've got Esther George, who sounds like she is not interested at all at this point in taking the foot off the pedal on higher rates. Well, there's always a discordant 
uh, kind of battle between um, you know raising rates to slow the economy down and then worrying about falling into a recession. And and they're trying to land the plane in a soft way. Now that's very very difficult. Uh, history has told us that. Uh, you know we've had rates in 2022 go up like a rocket, um, and I suspect they'll come down like a feather. Meaning not until 2024. Um, as, as Esther George mentioned. And I, and you look, remember 2024 in America is an election year. And, and as, and as much as the Fed should be immune to political, uh, kind of pressures, if unemployment gets to where, uh, economists think it needs to get to, to have, uh, you know, to have the economy, uh, be disinflationary, it needs to get closer to that five, five and a half percent. It's still only, 3.7%, 3.7%, as you noted at the outset, that's the unemployment rate. We don't expect that to, to, to creep up, you know, in, in the near term, but that's, you know, where it might be. And, that, and that's where I have a lot of respect for, uh, you know, Leon Cooperman, and, and he's giving you the other end of the spectrum, which there is data that would suggest that we are heading into a recession. Um, I mean, you, you have the classic canary in the coal mine, the inverted yield curve, uh, doesn't mean you're going to have a recession, but every time you do have one, you have a, first you have an inverted yield curve between the two and tenure. Neil, can we talk about the sacrifices in the jobs market? We've had a whole bunch of reports crossing this week. Amazon, Salesforce, at this time round uh, in, in a downturn if it's coming and in terms of a, a labor market that won't be so tight in future. Where do you think those big sacrifices will come from? Um, I think in the tech area. I mean, uh, and I think you're, you, you said you look t- uh, Salesforce, 10 percent of their workforce. Uh, Amazon, 18,000 jobs. It's a lot of jobs. But when you what you looked at the ADP data yesterday, uh, luxury, um, you know, uh, uh, folks in the service economy that that those jobs are, are being created. And, and that's a lot still a bounce back from, uh, you know, kind of the covid period. Uh, so that that's the discordant uh, kind of picture in labor. But I think where you're going to see layoffs are going to be in these big, you know, the big tech companies that that really overhired. Uh, in response to the kind of COVID world that we were living in. Neil, I want to bring up the Neil Kashgari comments from this week and comparing the the surge in prices we've seen to Uber-style pricing, that inflation has just been sort of surging in these pockets. Uh, It's just, if you think about this for a little bit and you compare it to Uber a little bit further, we know that those prices can also flip lower. They, They normalize at some point and then they come back again. How closely do you connect with that um, uh, that metaphor that this is just an Uber price surge that we're seeing in inflation? Um, I, I, look, it's a colorful metaphor. I think what I would focus investors on is looking at the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditure Pricing Index. That's what the Fed says is the most important data point they're looking at. And it, it has gone down from last month over 5% to 468 and, and, and the consensus is that it has to get closer to four before the Fed eases off. So you are seeing a movement towards pricing um, kind of st- you know, going lower and getting to a stabler place where the Fed can feel comfortable just standing pat until 2024. Neil, very good morning to you. Um, I can't understand what's going on with the consumer. I don't think I'm the only one who's a bit confused. Excess savings or in a bit of a pickle because they're raising so much money and revolving credit and cards. What's your take, Neil? Well, I, I think there's really two stories there. I mean, when you look at um, the money that was put in people's pocket uh, during COVID, um, you know, there's, there's really two stories. The first one is the uh, the challenge consumer, the, the subprime borrower. Uh, third quarter data showed that credit card balances were the highest in record and that there's more personal debt uh, on the balance sheet uh, in America than there was pre-COVID. So that tells you a lot. On the other hand, um, there is a lot of savings for those folks that are not in that subprime 
uh, kind of area, the, the non-challenged consumer. And one thing that um, I think is is what I, when I'm talking to folks uh, in Europe, they don't understand is that we're we in January we're increasing colas or cost of living adjustments to pensioners to people on disability, and that is going to go up over eight and a half percent because of it. It basically follows last year's inflation. So you're going to see a lot more money being put in people's pocket uh, in in those in those segments. And there's a lot of pensioners. There's a lot of a lot of folks that are are subject to those uh, you know federal government workers. They're all going to get cola adjustments. That's a lot more money in people's pocket. Uh, plus, you know the the Inflation Reduction Act, which kind of a kind of a uh, ironic name because I think it's it, it's probably inflation promoting act but it is pumping in a lot of money into the economy starting next year uh, and it's a 10-year program but it's going to start pumping money in next year for renewables and and it's a lot of more government spending essentially I hear you Neil and and, and again you've, you've presented a very convincing case of why there's a bit more money in this system and I agree with you about the inflation reduction act as well but having said that, the costs are through the roof for these same households. I know that mortgage rates have come off the 7% handle somewhere between 65 and 7 now for the 30-year rate as well. But it's still a mega increase compared to what they were paying. And I saw a story yesterday that the initial monthly payment for 15% of uh, car buyers now or PCP owners in the States is a 1000 bucks a month. First time ever we've hit those kind of levels. So we're talking about just two areas, and there's many, many more, where costs have gone absolutely through the roof uh, and are pinching the household budget. Yes, no, look, housing is, I think when, when uh, 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 James Bullard is talking about how they see things slowing down, housing is most notable because you know, year over year, I think it's almost 5% housing starts have gone down. And then mortgage applications have gone down the lowest in, in uh, since 1996. That's data that just came out. So the housing market is absolutely disinflationary. Um, and, and I think that that's that's a really big story. You started out at 3% uh, 30-year mortgage rates at the beginning of the year and ended up at, as you said, it crested seven. Now we're back down in like six, six and a half. Um, but then, then, then you deal with again the the, the borrowing rates on the short term. Uh, that would be your car borrowing. Those are typically five year loans. That's where you're starting to see the effect of ratcheting up rates. Uh, also has a big, big impact on on folks trying to, to buy cars. So it's those are the that's the data that I'm, I think uh, that James Bullard is kind of referring to, and Esther George is kind of on the other side talking about the labor market, and and you can see a soft landing because. Um, you know, because things are are quite still tight in the labor market. Um, Neil, we've talked about property, we've talked about um, inflation, we've talked about labor markets. What about the markets per se? Um, how do you feel about the opportunities to make money? Where would you direct our audience to? Well, look, I think I think there's a decent case to be made that in equities, uh, standing on the sidelines is not a bad idea in the in the near term, just to see where. Things go in terms of, of rates and, and recession. The market desperately wants to bid things higher. I think earlier this week you had a big push up because there was some data uh, out of France that was disinflationary, and suddenly the market bids it up. And then yesterday, you know, you have the ADP data, and then it you know bids it down tremendously. So the market desperately wants to be able to uh, participate. But in terms of recommendations, um, you know, I think I think debt is really where you want to be. Uh, credit. 
there's just floating rate debt that's attractive out there. Um, you're now seeing, you know, look, I mean, last year we had one, an incredible, here's an incredible statistic. It, 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 in over 100 years, you have not had both the debt and equity markets in, the, in America be more than 10% down. And we clearly had that last year. So I really think that uh, credit is where, where I would direct the investors to uh, over the next six months. Neil, thank you so much for the time today. Much appreciated. Neil Wilson with us, co-CEO, EJF Capital. And just a quick one on a programming note, our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic. That's later on today. Tune into that exclusive interview at 1670. Can I ask one more question to you, actually to you, but I know you want to... What's that? What, what's the big revelation about the disinflation news? What, you mean inflation still goes up, but at a lesser rate this year? No. Big reveal. Why, why should I care that that's a new statement? Well, I think I think it, it starts to jar with the idea that it is foot firmly to the floor on interest rate hikes. So you've got Jim Bullard on the one hand saying it appears that rates are not high enough at this point to tackle the inflation threat at the same time saying the inflation threat appears to be dissipating and morphing into a disinflationary risk at this stage. Well, I, I think those sound like contradictions in terms of the message. I don't, because they've let they've so far let the dog on that extendable lead go off that even if you bring it in halfway, this dog's still running around over there. Yeah. I.e., inflation eight, nine, ten percent in some cases. Well, you bring it back to five percent, it's still two hundred and fifty percent, one hundred and fifty percent higher than it should be. Right. Oi, mister, can you pull that dog in? It's too, it's, it's running too far. Look, I'm not sure the dog analogy works with the interest like rate story, it. but if you've, if you've got Esther George <laughs> and some of the other Fed speakers who have a very clear single message, we are going higher. Why muddy the water at this point by saying we are going higher, we need to go higher to tackle inflation. But by the way, we might have a disinflation coming into the system that's at this point. what the evidence is showing at the moment, that core is picking, is, is easing, PPR, producer prices are coming off, wholesale prices. Prices are coming off, but are still excessive compared to the historical norms. But, but and we had this conversation uh, when Karen was away in Australia, and we were, looking, we were looking back at the 70s, weeks. and we were looking at that dip and then the resurgence. And the point is this, if, and I think this is the point, um, if you begin to, too early, call off the dogs and bring in that lead, effectively there is always the risk of a resurgent second wave of second round effects of inflation. So why are you telling the world that actually we've We've solved this. We it just is. need to go a little bit higher here because disinflation is setting in. I don't think he in. said we've solved it. I think you've um, you've misinterpreted what he said. No, I'm trying to understand how the market will read what he's saying oh, yeah, because he's saying yeah. we he's saying um, disinflation is going to happen this year and we're going to have a soft landing. The prospects for soft landing look better. Yeah. That doesn't sound like someone who is saying we need to be alert to second round inflationary effects here. And there is a chance that if we don't go hard now, we are going to see a resurgence. I might respectfully disagree with you, Karen. It's all in the messaging, isn't it? And I think uh, Bullard is one of the other key speakers here. He's been very strong on the whole inflation story. And he's also talking about the moderating pace around inflation. So I think the clarity is super important at this stage because I think we just heard it in Neil's conversation. You've got the market concerned about being wrong-footed, the Fed concerned about the market turning too early, which then puts uh, a further fuel into the system. It means they've got even bigger job to handle when it comes to inflation. If so you've got a well-trained dog, it will always come back to you anyway. Uh, shares in Chinese <laughs> property developers received a boost on reports of further state support for the country's real estate sector. 
China's central bank says it'll ease mortgage restrictions for buyers in certain conditions. China is also reportedly planning to relax its so-called three red line restrictions on borrowing for property developers. That's according to Bloomberg, which says the Chinese government could ease borrowing caps and delay deadlines for meeting debt targets. And I just want to throw one other story in here, which I think is important at this stage, and it's the local government funding vehicle that has been signed off by Guizhou. And effectively, the central government has now said that they can restructure their loan payments over an additional 10 years to ease the pain now. And it reminds me of the special purpose vehicles we had back in the 80s for provincial governments that had blown their budgets. So let's get out to Sam on this. Uh, Sam, as we look to China to potentially stimulate the economy and stimulate markets at this point, how significant is this package of measures we're hearing about? Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, those three stories that you just highlighted there are certainly significant in terms of a policy shift that we are seeing. Certainly the Chinese government, the leadership over in Beijing, clearly recognising that it does need to support the property market, which of course makes up for around a quarter of, of course, the economy, 30% or so. And it really has been a massive drag over the last couple of years or so with that deleveraging campaign, which of course was a framework set up back in August 2020 to really try to improve the financial health of this sector and to try to prevent some of that financial risk. But now we are seeing these reports that that three red lines policy uh, may actually be easing somewhat and that could be relatively significant. We did put that question to Chief Investment Officer Isaac Poole down in Australia just in the last hour on Capital Connection, who did say they're probably not going to push out a huge amount of leverage onto the economy like absolute crazy, like back in 2008. But it certainly is a significant step. And we've also, as you highlighted, had the PBOC and the banking insurance watchdog saying that they will now sort of tweak the uh, adjustment mechanism when it comes to those mortgage rates. That is for first home buyers. This is an interesting story, uh, of course, because they are trying to spur some of that buyer demand, which has been weighed down very much by that liquidity crunch, but also the COVID lockdowns that we have seen. But really, this is majorly part of this uh, grand opening that you could say uh, that we are seeing in China and working towards uh, that recovery that, uh, of course, the markets are very much betting on. They're looking past the downbeat data and the problems we're seeing in terms of the lack of transparency around the cases and very much looking towards the stimulus and that reopening. Guys, back to you. Terrific report. Sam, thank you so much for that. Um, Samsung warns quarterly profit will fall to an eight-year low as weaker demand for electronic devices hits the South Korean tech giant. More on that story when we come back. And for more on the latest commentary from Fed officials as well as the latest market action, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts.
Samsung says its quarterly profit fell to an eight-year low amid weaker sales of electronic devices. In a preliminary statement, the South Korean electronics giant also said it's seen lower-than-expected demand for its memory chips in the fourth quarter. Let's get out to Sherry for more. Sherry, it feels as though some customers were clearing out inventory that stretched from phones to televisions and to the chips. That's right. And it's actually a familiar story pretty much across the board. But what was not expected by the market was really this degree of the fall in chip prices and the degree of the fall in mobile demand. And you know what? It was so bad, the guidance, that actually the stock went up because, uh, well, market is expecting now that Samsung will have to do something like output cuts. And of course, uh, that is really the discipline on the side of the suppliers in this semiconductor industry. So yes, operating profit guidance coming in at the 4.3 trillion Korean one that represents close to 70 percent, seven zero percent decline year on year. And that was a huge miss. And the number itself, the earnings actually was an eight year low for Samsung Electronics. Yes, as you pointed out, Karen, Samsung did talk about memory demand falling more than expected because their clients are worried about consumer sentiment worsening. And because of this kind of a macro backdrop that we talk about every day, Samsung also said smartphone sales fell in the fourth quarter of last year. And it was rare, by the way, let me point out, for Samsung to comment on these guidance numbers as well. So because of that huge memory demand and price chip chip prices miss, we are looking at, of course, a lot of unknowns. But the market seems to say that a lot of bad news has been baked into the stock price. Samsung Electronics up 1% for the day. In fact, up more than 6% so far this year in 2023. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC. <laughs>